2 Peter chapter 2, 10 through 22 in your pew Bible. So if you don't have a Bible with you and you don't want to look it up on an app that's on your phone, because uh, you'll probably end up playing Facebook or maybe even Tetris during the sermon, you can turn to your pew Bible and read along there on page 1,208. That's 1,208 in the pew Bible. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 10, the second half of verse 10. And there it reads, Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the pig, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. If you would please join me in prayer. O holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So Peter, in this letter, he, he's, he introduced himself in the beginning of the letter. It, it's his final letter before um, he ends up passing away. And, and he begins by, by telling us to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, to be faithful to it. And then he begins warning us about false teachers. And he says, there are people out there teaching false things about Jesus, like he's not going to return and there is no final judgment. And they do so because they want you to then say that, hey, it's okay for you to live in your sin. And in fact, that sin you've been living in, you know, 
why do we even call it a sin anymore? Everything's going to be okay. God's love, you're good, right? And, and, and he's kind of warning you that these false teachers are, are popping up and existing and beginning to gain popularity there in the early church. And so Peter, kind of as a last will and testament, is trying to show us back to the true gospel, reveal the truth to us that he was a witness to, right? He accounts that he's a witness to this, him and the other apostles. And so he's trying to show us back to the truth, also while pointing out the falsehoods of what they preach. And then in this section, he's now pointing out to us what a false teacher actually looks like. If you can't uh, discern based off their message necessarily, begin discerning the teacher themselves. And so he points out in detail kind of what they look like. His purpose, though, is so we can spot them, so we can begin spotting false teachers. And, and we don't call everyone who, who has the title pastor or preacher or reverend as, as someone that we should necessarily listen to because breaking news, pastors are flawed people too. You should know this. Pastors are flawed deeply flawed people too, just as you are. Pastors don't come into standing behind a pulpit as perfect people in Christ, but rather we are saved by the same Jesus you are saved by. The blood that washes your sins has washed our sins. We just have a calling to come and preach the word and to help shepherd you as you grow in the grace of Christ. That's the distinction. That's the difference. So Peter knows that spotting a false teacher can be difficult for many reasons. One of them being that a good con man, well, you don't realize that you've been had until you've already been had, right? right? A good con man, you never, you don't figure out until someone with fresh eyes comes in and says, hey, you know, they just, you got taken, that was a scam. You got scammed out of whatever it was. And for us as Christians, the problem with false teachers and the scam they're running, the con that they have going on is, well, we might not find out until the end when the con is over and we've been taken, which would be the day we come face to face with Christ. So there's a grave danger attached to this. And so they continue their con because they can. Now, in our day, there are many different false gospels that false teachers are out there peddling to try and gain whatever traction and glory and money for themselves. It ranges from the prosperity gospel, this health and wealth gospel that says, well, if you're not wealthy, if you're not making more money, if you're not healthy, if you're not constantly being healed, then you know what? You don't have enough faith. Rather than the true gospel, which talks about the very valleys and the sorrows and the trials and the tribulations we will go through in this life. And then there's the false gospel of the, the God is only love, the one Peter begins referring to, that everything's going to be okay, that we're going to rename sin as good and even holy, affirming you as you are because God doesn't make mistakes. 
And then there's the false gospel that's gaining a lot of popularity known as Christian nationalism. There's real trouble when we begin conflating our faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior and King and putting all of our hope in a government or a political figure to say that they will come and redeem and restore and bring glory back to us. There's dangers in that. You can go read Kings, First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles to, to see the dangers that come when, when people begin asking for a king based off their own desires. Israel falls. They get further and further away from God every time. And here they are. They're thinking that they are, you know, the nation, that, that they are God's nation. And so they get these divine kings that keep leading them further and further away from God because they put their hope in the kings to save them that cannot save them. It's the problem we have with Christian nationalism. See, all of these are false. All of these are perpetuated by false teachers of the gospel. But what makes it difficult to really discern a false teaching for us is false teachers are good at knowing enough of the gospel, enough of scripture, that they will say what's true in some instances, so that when they say what's false, it's hard to tell the difference. It's hard for many reasons. One of them is because we have an implicit trust of these men of God who stand in these pulpits and expound upon Scripture. And it comes with this trust because while we live in an age where we have the most access to the Bible than anybody else, we have it in English, and if you don't like the version of English you have, there's over a hundred other versions you can choose from in your language. You can read, you can study on your own, but we have created professional Christians and abdicated our responsibility of reading God's word ourselves. So we trust the pastor. Well, I'm not reading the Bible myself. He's a pastor. He reads the Bible. Therefore, I will trust him to bring and deliver the word of God to me why here we encourage you so much to open the Bible in front of you. Read the Bible that you have. Open it up. Check and verify everything that is preached and taught here. You can look into scripture. You can read it for yourself. We're not trying to pull wool over your eyes here. There is no scam. There is no con going on. But if we're not entering into God's word and then someone begins spouting something off about God and his character and we don't know anything about God because well, we haven't read it for ourselves yet. We haven't studied it for ourselves. The word of God isn't written on the walls of our heart. So all we have to go on is what they have to say. This makes us very susceptible to false teachings. Oh, well, their, their title says pastor or minister. They, they, they preach and teach at what is called a church, so therefore it must be true. But this isn't anything new. See, Peter deals with it during his time, and, and he points out that, that it's not even anything new for Christianity, but it is something that has plagued God's people since the very beginning. And he goes and begins talking about this prophet, Balaam, which we'll get to in a little bit. 
And so Peter, in his letter, he, he teaches us how to spot these false teachers and these false prophets. He says, false preachers can be measured by what they say with their mouth. Listen to the way they talk. Do, do they sound like scripture in the way it's written? Do they sometimes talk and, and, and expound upon things as if the psalmist talks? Or is there some bitterness in their life and in their voice? Is there some hunger and desires that maybe you begin to see? He says, bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious one. Here in the beginning of this section, Peter says blasphemy three times as he's describing false teachers. Blasphemy as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Now, it's not exactly clear who the glorious ones are, but by the name and and measure that he begins talking about angels next as messengers of God, it would be that they, they would be out there blaspheming angels and apostles. So we begin to pay attention. If you have a preacher or a teacher saying things that contradict apostles and the teachings of God, might need to perk up our ears to pay attention. Then Peter points out it's what they have an eye for. Now, as Peter writes about an eye in the ancient world, the eye uh, was the metaphor to speak of our inner desires, the things that we have deep desire for. And, and this one's harder for us to see, right? It's harder for us to judge someone's eye and what they, and what they desire. But in the end, God has promised in his word that it will always be exposed in the light. He says these false preachers here, they have eyes that revel, eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. But notice what he says they don't have eyes for. He doesn't say that they have eyes for God. He doesn't say that they have eyes for humility. He doesn't say that they have eyes for repentance and grace and mercy. The third feature Peter points out is after what they say with their mouths and see with their eyes is what they seek with their hearts. He writes, they entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. What he points out here is that greed, wealth, money, however you want to talk about it, is the accursed vice of false preachers throughout the entirety of history of God's people. The accursed vice, the thing all false preachers and teachers have in common is they have a vice for wealth and greed and money. They want to ascertain more and more and more of it, and it's never enough. So you can ask of the teachers and begin asking the questions, what are their views on money? How do they spend what and use what God has given them. And when listening to their messages, when they begin talking about the gospel or faith, are they always adding in the financial benefits of it? Peter points then to the false prophet of Balaam as an example. If you're unfamiliar with the story of Balaam, you can find it in Numbers chapter 22 through 24. It's, it's an exciting tale. There is a talking donkey, and this isn't even the movie Shrek. 
right? right? It's, it, so if you want, when you read the story of Balaam, if you want to do an Eddie Murphy voice for the donkey, you can, right? But here's a, a, talk, a talking donkey. Balaam is a, is a prophet, but a wicked prophet he is, a bold, willful, daytime reveler. His, his wickedness would lead God's people astray, all for his personal gain. See, a, a King Balak came to him and said, hey, you've got to teach the Israelites a different way. And he, and he tried turning him away a few times, ultimately relenting so that he could have great personal gain in his life. And then he was offered great wealth to preach against God's law, and he began to lead and be the voice of a sexual revolution among the Israelites that, that promoting a sexual union outside neighboring nations, and in doing so, defied God's law. And it brought judgment upon the Israelites, as God would send a plague upon them. Balaam, though, in this story, he'd be thwarted by his donkey on the road to go spread some more false prophecies and falsehoods about God. The donkey would go off the road, and then he would hit him to try and get him back on track. And again, the donkey would go off the road. He would hit him again to get him back on track. And then a third time, he does it, and then the donkey talks. Why do you hit me three times? Balaam doesn't fall off the donkey. Balaam doesn't run away in horror. Oh my gosh, a talking donkey, right? I would be freaking out. Balaam's cool as a cucumber, and he begins having this conversation with the donkey as, as it is the angel talking through the donkey, saying, hey, the donkey stopped because he saw a messenger of God in front of him thwarting his tracks. And in this conversation, the angel reveals that he is carrying a sword, and the reason the donkey got off the track is not for its own safety, but to save Balaam. It was to thwart Balaam from going and spread these false prophecies, because the angel reveals that he was going to kill Balaam if the donkey kept going and let the donkey run free. See, even in this story, we see God's mercy on those that still perpetrate wickedness against God before judgment comes. But after this interaction with the talking donkey, Balaam would be speechless. Literally, he couldn't talk anymore except for the moments where God put the words into his mouth to speak. And then he would come to his ultimate demise he would be killed by messengers of God while living in a godless, sensual city. This idea, this understanding of false preachers and teachers is nothing new to God and to his people. Peter wants us to know that. He's pointing it out to make it clear to us. And then he goes on to show us that they'll be known by what they promise and what they deliver. He says these are these promises. They're waterless springs. The things that they spout are waterless springs. We are a people in need of living water so that we can grow good fruit to the glory of God. 
Living water allows us to have our roots grow deep so that the fruit we grow is, is sustainable and good. The living water of the living word of God found in Jesus Christ, that is the source of everything we need. And he says these, these false teachings, these false teachers are waterless springs, meaning that what they offer is not different from the world that you might as well go to the self-help section of Amazon and pick a book, any book, and you'll be just as well off as if you're listening to a false teacher. Because when, when the ground of our soul is in desperate need of a refreshing rain, Peter says, they are but a mist. I don't know if you know anything about how things grow and crops are raised, but a mist only allows for shallow roots and poor fruit, if any fruit at all. Essentially, as waterless springs, they're coming up with a bucket full of dirt and passing it off as water. For them, Peter writes, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. He urges, let the platitudes and the funny stories behind find a church with a, with a preacher who's going to expound upon Scripture, who's going to encourage you to go into Scripture, who's willing to preach the full gospel and not just the parts that make you feel good about yourself, but the whole part of it that reminds us that, yes, we are saved by grace. The blood of Jesus has washed us clean, and we have been adopted as sons and daughters of the God Most High, but also reminding us that the reason this has been done is because we were rebels against God, sinful in our very nature against him and his ways, in need of a savior and not something we could do by ourselves. And that because we're saved by grace, it's not a license to keep on sinning. By no means, Paul says, but rather we are called to holiness, to this life of growing in grace and growing in God and growing in his character. And then finally, Peter gives us one more image of a false preacher. That of someone, if you can imagine, out on the streets, shackled in chains, enslaved to them, unable to break free, crying out to us as we pass by, I can give you freedom. I can give you freedom. They are trapped in their sins, trapped by their worldly desires, and so they entice unsteady souls to join them. See, this word entice, Peter uses here in the Greek is a fishing word. And it's good to note that because Peter himself, when called by Jesus, was called and said, I will teach you to be fishers of men so that he would gather men to God. And these false preachers merely want to gather men to themselves. Peter's clear in the gospel of Christ and our need for it. And he's clear of the dangers of false teachings that are around us that they exist, 
and these false preachers and teachers, they will be judged harshly, harshly according to Scripture. So not only does Peter give us a way to spot them out there, but God himself in his grace has, has given us avenues and tools to help guard the church. One of them being the elders of a church. The elders of a church. Paul to Titus, first chapter, verse 9, he says, an elder is to be able to teach sound doctrine and correct false doctrine. Elders are there to hold the doctrine of the church, the beliefs of what the church, everything that is preached and taught within the church, the elders hold together. They oversee it. They're there to correct any falsehoods. Which means, if, any eld- if the elders aren't correcting anything, being taught or being preached, then they stand 100% by it. And the thing is, they're not allowed to say, well, I don't know everything being taught. For it's part of their calling and their responsibility to know, to oversee to guard the church. So you can ask them. Find your elders. What's being taught at youth group? What's being taught in kids' church? What's being taught in Bible 101 Sunday school class? What's being taught on Monday nights with the young adults? Are they guarding the church? Why you may feel it awkward to ask your elders, if we don't ask them as the church, then... It's easy for them to let that responsibility go by. The other tool we've been given and graced by God is the Bible, the very living word of God. We can read it, we can study it, we can know it, we can have it and and have it written on the walls of our heart because we don't want to leave this to professional Christians. Because if someone else is always just reading the Bible for us and telling us what it says and what it means, It leaves us susceptible to falsehoods. We've been given the word of God. In your language, read it anytime, anywhere. You can listen to someone else read it to you from from all of the apps. But it's there so that it can be written on the walls of our hearts. Because you see, Jesus has set us free from our sins. Provided us with elders. Given us God's word. So then Peter warns the false teachers. But he warns us too. And he says, The dog returns to its own vomit, and the pig, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the filth. Brothers and sisters, don't go back into sin. Don't be led by the world. Keep your eyes and your heart upon Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen.